Good morning and welcome to the table at Central United Methodist Church. My name is uh, Matt Smith and along with Linda Duhirsu, we serve as the co-pastors for this community of faith. And Linda is moving around this morning. She'll be here to help with communion in a moment, but she has an opportunity to see and experience worship from the pews because we are really grateful to have a friend and colleague and also our district superintendent with us this morning. This is Reverend Shinya Goto. Thank you for being with us, Shinya. We are grateful for your presence today, and we're going to move into worship acknowledging um, the hurt that is in the world around us. As so many of you all know, um, the worst earthquake in the last century has happened over just the last couple of weeks in Turkey and Syria. And so our own bookkeeper, um, Askin, is from Turkey himself, and so we'll continue to try to learn more from him about things that are happening there. But our finance team met earlier last week and made a decision, I hope a bold decision, a decision that because the deep commitments our community has made um, for this year, we are going to lean into this moment and make a gift of $2,500 to the United Methodist Committee on Relief to go toward immediate uh, humanitarian aid to folks there in Turkey and Syria. And we would invite you to press that even higher. And you can do that by making a gift today online if you would like to do that. 100% of your gift will go to direct aid to those recovering from the earthquakes. And for those of us that are in the sanctuary and not online, you can also make a gift here in the sanctuary. Just note um, Turkey or Syria or even just UMCOR on a check. And we'll make sure that all of that goes to um, support those who are finding their way in that devastating reality. We are going to pause then for a moment of just silence for maybe 15 or 20 seconds or so. And then our musicians are going to help us. And first, I'd invite us, if you're here in the sanctuary, to stand as you're willing and able. And our musicians will move us from this moment of silence as we just hold in prayer those who are finding their way this day in the aftermath of earthquakes. And then our musicians will take us into song from a singer-songwriter and friend, Rachel Kurtz, called Make a Difference. So let us be in a spirit of prayer. Side by 
side, joy out or inside. Together we can make that change. With the few or men, with the light or not in. Together we can make that change. I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to make a change. Brendan to play fast, and he delivered. <laughs> Thank you, that was awesome. So I'm gonna teach you a little part, it's very simple. Um, and even if you've never sung before, if you're afraid of singing out of tune, you can't do anything wrong. Humans were meant to make noise, so this is what we're gonna do. Sounds just like this.
Amen. You may be seated. You all sound beautiful. We are going to keep moving in worship. This is a prayer which comes to us from the work of the people. So let us continue in a spirit of prayer. And for our folks who are with um, folks that are learning to read or might not be readers yet, there won't be sound to this in terms of words. So we might want to help our learning readers um, along as we go.
I want to say welcome. Welcome you. Welcome every situation. Welcome your heart. Welcome in love. And this morning prayer really touched me. It really did. The reason is because one of the beautiful part of a, about my position or what I do is welcome people. And, and I welcome all of you. My name is Sarnit Prasad and I'm our Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. 
We are grateful to welcome District Superintendent Shinya Gotu this morning as our guest preacher. Thank you. For those of us gathering online at table.live, Chloe is with you as our host this morning. Please message her in the chat if you have any questions or need assistance. Today's bulletin is available with a QR code for those in the sanctuary, and a link will be shared for those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please text the word new to the number on the screen. When you are ready to connect with others and learn more about the table, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more and about how we share life together here at the table. Registration is full for our next Growing in Faith series, and we'll share details in the next offering of this series once dates and time are confirmed. Please note, we will gather both here in the sanctuary and online this coming Wednesday in the morning at 7 a.m. for worship on Ash Wednesday. We will also offer ashes and prayer station in the evening. We will hope you will join us in the morning or in the evening as we begin Lent journey together in worship series called Sabbath Rest, Wendell Berry and Sabbath Poetry of Lent. So yesterday uh, I had a family function. I love to go off script. <laughs> it is part of me now. And I did something um, out of ordinary for a lot of people. I combined sari, which is probably worn by women, and sharwani, which is probably worn by men. And I combined them both. And I did a fusion, and I posted it online on my story. And people are shocked. <laughs> and I love you guys. And, and the reason I'm so unapologetic and so confident is because I have amazing people behind me. And all of you are those amazing people. Thank you. The next song in worship was written by, by our own musicians and it's called Reach Out. I invite you to stand as you're willing and able and join our voices together as we continue in Move in Worship. Yeah. 
Oh, I can't just start right now. I have to say, <laughs> that is the most amazing, beautiful, original music by our own Solabelle. Uh, you guys. <laughs> Could listen to you all day long. As my grandkids would say, awesome. <laughs> my name is Bob Martinez. I'm a fellow member of the table, just like you, and you, and you. Right now, I want to invite our children to move with our teachers upstairs to our godly play sanctuary. And our musicians will help us with some walking music. Godly play is our ministry with children on Sunday mornings. Storytellers share stories from scripture and invite children to wonder about the mystery and the love of God. While we have loving and professional care to our youngest children in the A-frame throughout worship, Godly play is designed for children in elementary school. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Micah in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and we invite you to follow along. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. Uh, I come here, I'm touched by the music, and I just want to thank you, the wonderful musicians. Is that good? Okay. Will you uh, join me in prayer? Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in, our, in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Be our teacher today and help us understand Micah 6.8. Amen. With full disclosure, I'm in my mid-40s. And what that means, what that means is that I don't remember anything from the 1970s. <laughs> I remember some things from the 1980s. I remember uh, the Summer Olympics in L.A. in 1984. I remember the Challenger explosion in 1986. Uh, even though I was living in Japan at the time, I uh, remember the first movie that I watched at a movie theater. It was in 1982, and the movie was E.T. And so I remember some things from the 1980s, but I don't remember anything from the 1970s. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing that some of you do remember the 1970s. You don't have to raise your hand. 
But if you do remember the 1970s, I'm uh, wondering if you could help me piece together the following event. In uh, 1976, Jimmy Carter had just beaten Gerald Ford in the general presidential election to become the 39th president of the United States. And on January 20th, 1977, at the east portico of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., the weather was freezing with wind chill in the teens, but it happened to be sunny. And with Chief Justice Warren E. Berger administering, the president-elect Jimmy Carter had the family Bible, which was the same Bible that was used by uh, George Washington in his inauguration in 1789. He also had another uh, Bible, which he later shared was given to him by his mother. And so this was a Bible that had a strong meaning for him. He had that Bible open to, you guessed it, Micah 6.8. And he placed his left hand on that verse and on that Bible, and he raised his right hand and took the oath to become a president of the United States. Then later in his inauguration address, President Carter went on to actually read Micah 6.8, which is very rare. A lot of presidents select a verse to, to place their hand on, but they don't read it. But President Carter actually wanted to read that text, and he read it from uh, the King James Version because he's Southern Baptist. It went like this. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And in the closing of the address, he included these words. He said, within us, the people of the United States, there is an evident, a serious and purposeful rekindling of, of confidence. And I join in the hope that when my time as your president has ended, people might say this about our nation, that we had remember the words of Micah and renewed our search for humility mercy, and justice. It makes you curious why President Carter selected this particular reading from the Bible. The book of Micah is known as a minor prophet, which means that it's short. You can read the entire book in about 15 to 20 minutes. It's one of 12 minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. And what is most interesting from my perspective of President Carter's selection is that this book is often described as a liberation book. People get their hands on this book when they wanted to challenge, they want to overthrow the government. I discovered this uh, interesting uh, database where you enter a verse in, uh, uh, in the Bible or a book of the Bible and it tells you when in the history of the U.S. that it was popular. And so, of course, I entered the book of Micah and I learned that it was popular at two different times in the history of the U.S. And the first time that it was popular it was, uh, it was during American Revolutionary War as a way to incite the crowd, as a way to rouse and energize the Americans to stand up against the British control American preachers often quote it from the book of Micah. And the second time that it was popular was during and before the Civil War. It was the abolitionists 
that, that used the book of Micah to speak against the injustice of slavery and to call for freedom of all of God's creation. So you begin to see the liberation theme and the pattern in the use of this book. Actually, there's one other time that this book has been popular, and that is in the present day, today. I don't want you to do it now, but when you get home, I invite you to type Micah 6.8 in Amazon search engine. And you're going to find Micah 6.8 on t-shirts, on magnets, on, on mugs, on, on posters. You can find Micah 6.8 on just about anything, on bumper stickers. It's one of the most commercialized verses that we have in the Bible. And perhaps that's not what Micah prophet, uh, prophet Micah had in mind when he shared his message. So what is the message of prophet Micah? We know that Micah was born between 750 and 745 BCE. And by then, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms, as you can see on the map. The kingdom in the north was called Israel, and the kingdom in the south was called Judea or Judah. And just north of the two kingdoms was a large, powerful Assyrian empire. And its vast territory covered the, the modern-day uh, Turkey and, and Iran and northern Iraq. And its capital was in the city of Nineveh, which is uh, present-day Mosul in Iraq. And everyone knew that Assyrians were not to be messed with. But interestingly, around 750 BCE, Assyrians were somewhat dormant because they were dealing with internal issues. And at the beginning, uh, Israel and Judah were very careful not to, not to upset the Assyrians. But when they realized that Assyrians were, were not very active, they became emboldened. As you can imagine, they would take one step, and when Assyrians didn't react, they would take another step, and another step, and another step, and another step. And soon, they became audacious and started attacking uh, neighboring nations. And every time they increased their, their their land, they increased their commercial activities as well. And before they knew it, Israel and Judah had amassed incredible amount of wealth. And they were enjoying one of the highest points of economic prosperity in the entire history of Israel and Judah. But with that level of wealth, there's always a trade-off. We know from the book of Isaiah and book of Micah, the Judeans and Israelites Stop paying attention to God, God who calls God's followers to, to care for the poor and the widows and the, and the foreigners. They stop doing that, most of that. One historian said this about Israel and Judah of that time. The land became the chief commodity for investment of wealth. And soon, large estates sprang up all over the land with property passing from the hands of the small landowners to those of the big landholders. And the poor soon became landless, powerless, and voiceless. And corruption was the rule of the day. And the powerful took over the fields and homes of the weak, sold the children as slaves, and had no regard for women. And the political authorities, instead of offering a remedy for the situation, became plun plunders themselves, treating the people as if they were sheep for the slaughter. 
Judges, priests, and prophets did not condemn the injustices, but sold themselves to the system, reflecting well the spirit of the society that fed them. It's against this backdrop that Micah began to preach, and he began to call the Israelites to repent. If you don't leave your wickedness, if you don't straighten out your life, you don't trust God, something bad is going to happen to you. This can't go well for you. And in 722 BCE, the sleeping giant finally woke up. Under the new king of Sargon II, no longer bogged down by the internal issues, the Assyrians, the powerful Assyrians, with over 300,000 soldiers and thousands upon thousands of newly innovated chariots, marched down to the northern kingdom of Israel and obliterated the entire kingdom. They killed most of the Israelites, enslaved the rest, and dragged them all the way back to the Assyrian territory. And there, Israelites were forced to intermarry their slaves and other foreigners. And, and eventually, they, they started worshiping their gods, and they lost their own identity. And, and they came to be known as the Lost Tribe of Israel. So now, the southern kingdom of Judah had just witnessed the annihilation of their sibling nation. And they knew that Assyrians were coming after them, too. So they're sweating. Finally, they came to grips with the gravity of their predicament. And meanwhile, Micah kept preaching repentance, repent, repent, repent. And in the book of uh, Micah, the scene that we find, God is speaking to Judeans. And it's depicted in almost a dramatized narrative. And the scene is in a courtroom. And in the scene, God is the prosecutor. And Judeans are the defendants, and the witnesses are mountains and hills. It's very interesting. God is the prosecutor. Judeans are the defendants, and the witnesses are mountains and hills. And God says to Judeans, this is Micah 6.1, Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear what you have to say. And then God further says, Have I burdened you? Answer me, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. I have done all these things to you. And then the Judeans are feeling very guilty. And then they respond, this is Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What does the Lord require? You can hear a sense of desperation in their voices. I don't know about you, but I've experienced desperation in my life many times and I've had my share of desperate prayers to God Lord what is it that you want God tell me what is it that you want there's a sense of desperation and God's answer to Judeans is surprising God says this 
I don't want your burnt offerings. That's not what I want. I don't want you to slaughter any more animals. I don't want you to burn any more carcasses. That's not what I want. What I want, what I want is for you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. Now, I want you to know that the word uh, justice is mispath in Hebrew. And the word mercy is hesed in Hebrew. And mispath means judge or justice in an equitable sense. And, and hesed means kindness or goodness or love. Not the kind of love that you feel, but the kind of love that you do. And mispath appears 420 times. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, and hesed appears 240 times in the Hebrew Bible. They're two of the most common words that we find in the Bible, and they're woven into the fundamental theology of the Old Testament. And there's part about walking humbly with God. As Christians, we often keep a distance from God. We, we pray to God from a distance. We worship God from a distance. But God wants to walk with us. Adam, Noah, and Abraham are described in the Bible as having walked with God. If you could, walk, if you could imagine walking down a country lane with a friend, you talk and you listen and you laugh together and you share stories, that's what God wants with us. And the word humble in Hebrew is tzana, tzana. And it means lowly, lowly. I think of uh, Garth Brooks' song, I Have Friends in Low Places. Is that the right title? I'm not really a country person. God is a God who chooses to be in low places. And if we're going to be with God, we also need to be in low places. And we also need to be real about the places in our own lives that are low. When I hear Micah 6, 8, I can't help but to notice the similarities with the three simple rules. If you've been part of the kitchen table, you've heard of the three simple rules. Micah 6, 8 said, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Three simple rules says, do good, do no harm and stay in love with God. And I just wonder if this is a fundamental message that God has for us. About five years ago, I was asked to attend an immigration event for the United Methodist Church. Leaders from different parts of the country gathered together in Tucson, Arizona. In Tucson, it's about an hour from the border between the U.S. and Mexico. And nowadays, a lot of the people that are crossing over the southern border to come to the, U the U.S., they're not looking for economic prosperity, but they're looking for simple safety. And they're trying to escape from gang violence in the Central America, or they're trying to escape from uh, the drug war in Mexico. And so when they arrive in Tucson, they simply surrender themselves to the authority. And there, they're given ankle bracelet or monitor. And then after that, they're free to contact 
family member or friends and stay with them if they have any, and they begin the process of asylum. But in reality, most cases are rejected, and they will have to go back. And so these United Methodist Church in Tucson, where we stayed, had opened up themselves to to house asylum seekers. They had about 60 to to 70 asylum seekers uh, staying in their basement, and they were fed, and they're protected, and they gave them place to sleep and and place to shower. And when I was there, there was a family that had just arrived from Mexico. And this family consisted of a mother and her five children, and the father had been murdered by members of the drug cartel. And the eldest of the children was a girl, and she was turning 15 when I was there. And you know what that means in the Mexican tradition. Quinceanera. And the members of the church just found out the night before she was turning 15, they found out. And so they gathered together at the church and they spent all night making this beautiful, beautiful blue dress. And they prepared food and decorated the entire fellowship hall. And they decided to throw a surprise quinceanera party for her. And so she was getting dressed up in a room that was next to the fellowship hall, and the doors uh, to the fellowship hall opened, and she walked out into a room full of us (laughs) and the church members and asylum seekers, and we were all clapping our hands. And the moment that she walked out into the fellowship hall, I was able to take a picture, invite you to take a look. And as she walked over to the table that was reserved for her family, and there she embraced her mother, and the two of them broke down and started to cry. We all cried. And I asked the members of the church why they did what they did. And this is what they said. It's because just for two hours, we wanted her to feel special. I think of the members of the church, and I think of the words, the message of Micah 6.8. I recently came across an article titled, President Carter is back teaching Sunday school. During the pandemic, he had to stop teaching Sunday school, and everybody thought that his Sunday school teaching days were over. But as soon as the restrictions were lifted, he went right back to teaching Sunday school. And I wonder, after four and a half decades after the inauguration address, I wonder if he's still trying to embody the message of Micah 6.8. When I'm 98, if I'm still alive, I hope that's what I'll be doing, teaching Sunday school. What does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Amen.
Jesus would find himself walking those same hills, those same mountains that had been witnesses to the people in Micah's time, and sharing that same message, a call to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. And then after having walked all that time, they also found their way together to sit down. And in my image, they did that on the ground in the most intimate of ways, close friends gathered, and they were given a practice, not answers to questions, not, um, not a rule to say, but a practice to shape their life with. And that practice that we could learn to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly around is the practice of breaking bread, the very heart of our community, our way of following Jesus. And so we find ourselves now trying to pattern our lives after those from generations gone by in Micah's day and doing that around a table. And we prepare our own hearts and minds kind of as Shinya and others had that moment of preparing for this 15-year-old to walk into a room. We prepare as well. And we do that by acknowledging the ways that we're caught up in injustices, in systems that mean that that two hours could have been a most special moment for a life that should be special all the time. And so I invite you to stand as you're willing and able. And we will share together what the church calls a prayer of confession. And we'll do this with one voice reminded of how we are one in and through God's love. So I invite you to join our voices together. Merciful God, we confess that we do not always have an eye for injustice. Sometimes we are too hard-hearted to recognize when we have been uncaring, unfeeling, or unkind. All our lives we have been taught to make others proud, to be proud of ourselves, to hold our heads high, all the while missing the virtues of humility. Teach us once more to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. Amen. With God's love and grace, which is beyond all understanding, may you trust and may we all be assured in this moment of God's radical forgiveness. God's love for the world will never let you go. So may we celebrate this day God's call on our lives and God's love for our very being. Amen, amen, amen. And I invite you to join together in the call and response that is the practice of the church to recognize that love of God in each and every neighbor around us. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. When all was chaos, 
When water and earth had yet to take shape, God the sculptor, the painter, the creator touched the swirling mass and God's hands separated the earth from the water and the water from the sky. God touched the earth and plants turned green and fruit began to grow ripe and to celebrate God through holy fireworks in the skies, placing stars in the heavens. God touched the oceans and rivers and ponds and swimming beings made waves in the water and God reached to the sky and things with wings took flight and God looked upon all of this and said, this is good. When everything was done, God took clay and formed an image of God's own self and breathed into it God's own breath and said, you're the one I've been imagining. You and everything around you, my beloved creation is good, but it wasn't good for long because God's people couldn't keep their hand on that call to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. So God placed and pulled from God's own heart that very way of being and placed it into a form, a holy human being named Jesus. And God set that human being on earth to remind us of who we are and whose we are. to tell us how much God loves us and to show all of us how to love one another. But we couldn't accept that and we couldn't agree about it and we became afraid. Principalities and the powers which lure the people of God all the time to turn against the way that is made known in the life and ministry and love of Jesus were very great for people. And in the end, Jesus was given away by the very ones who thought that they were practicing loving him the best because the challenge was too great. But before he was taken, Jesus gathered his friends around a table and he promised them and he promises us that he will never leave us alone, but will come back and take us home with him. And here's the thing, like those longest to go companions, we don't always get it. We don't always understand the message that Jesus is bringing to us or what is coming and going and coming again means for us, but, and we can be grateful and sing the mystery that is our faith. night when Jesus gathered his friends together, he took the simple food that was their Passover meal, the bread and the cup, and he blessed them both, and he gave thanks to God. And he said, I am sharing this meal with you now so that you can share it together whenever you gather to remember me. 
with one voice, let us pray together the words that Jesus shared with his disciples so long ago, which have been passed through the generations to all of us. The church has named it the Lord's Prayer. We invite you to address God in the way and then the language that is most dear and clear in your heart. Okay? So let us pray. Our mother, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Pour your spirit, God, upon each of us gathered here and spread across many places. Pour your spirit upon the gifts which are before us. Make this your body and your love, and make us, through the sharing of this feast, your love alive in the world. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All are welcome at the table of God's love, and when we say all, we mean everyone. We mean all, A-L-L. We encourage all of our friends that are um, with us online, whether you are at home or whether you are somewhere else, to gather close to you right now, your bread and your juice. We gather in many places, right? So we also gather here in person in the sanctuary. And the way we share this meal here is out of doors. There are tables outside which have bread and then there's a gluten-free cracker in the center of that plate, and there is grape juice in the cup, right? And we want everyone to know that um, Sarnit will come back and direct you, kind of, so we keep some space between one another. Whether you have practiced this as a spiritual discipline forever, whether this is your first time uh, coming into this space or somewhere in the middle, we can't make a mistake. Hannah reminded us of that this morning. And, um, and in that vein, I want to share something because I love Jimmy Carter and he went into hospice care this weekend. Yeah, and I know you didn't know that and I was in the back and I was being good. So we want to hold him in prayer and Rosalind and their family for a life of justice, right? Whatever our, our voting was, he was a man who has given his life to service. And so we hold that as well and all of our prayers as we move from the pew into this time of feasting with God and one another. Friends, this is the bread of life and the body of Christ broken for you and the cup of God's forgiveness poured out for all.
we encourage those that are praying with candles to stay for just as long as you desire. God, may the depth of your love that is woven through the very act of breaking bread and sharing a meal be held within our hearts in this moment. May we offer you thanks as we learn your ways of doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly. May your peace make us one and may your call become our way of life. In the name of Jesus Christ, our hope. Amen. We hope you will continue to wonder about God's next steps in your own life. We, as a community of faith, make what we call deep commitments and then give generously to support the ways that our community aligns with God's love out in the world. We have many of those different ministries that we participate in. One of those is an opportunity to give today to the United Methodist Committee on Relief to support those that are recovering from earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. We commend that to you and hope you'll give generously to that cause. There are also ways to give to our ministries outside for those in person. There will be bread from Table Bread and a Next Steps table if you'd like to learn more. This is our music team sending us out. We hope you'll be with us either Wednesday morning here for Ash Wednesday at 7 or out at the farm in the evenings or in the evening as as we begin the Lenten journey together on Wednesday. But for now, I invite you to rise as you're willing and able. Our music team will send us out with Are We Not One? Oh, are we rivers coursing every valley? Are we not dreams of the one eternal mind? Oh, are we trees rising to the heavens? Oh, are we flowers unfair?
to let you know that、uh, my wife, who was here to preach a few weeks ago, she tested positive for COVID、uh, this weekend. So we've been sleeping in separate rooms. <laughs>、uh, I tested negative this morning, so I should be okay. But just as a precaution, I'm not going to be shaking anybody's hands. You understand. I can give you a big hug, but you don't, <laughs> I don't think you want that. So I invite you to receive this benediction. What does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to walk, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us go in peace. Amen. Are we not one, O、oh、Lord?